So I love a great question. I love great questions because great questions make you think. And if somebody asks you a great question or if you ask someone a great question, it's a great way to start a conversation where you're really trying to get to the heart of something. And so I love great questions. I start them at a lot of meetings that that I lead here at, at the summit. And I also like uh, asking them when I'm with my family at home. And so what's, what's interesting was about, um, about three weeks ago, I, I, I thought I was going to be really smart and, um, and order a pack of these what's called table topic questions. I don't know if you've seen them on Amazon or something, but they're just conversation starters. And there's all different kinds of, uh, of, of questions in there. And so, so one night, um, Krisha and I were at our house, and our boys were there, and our boys were talking with us. And I've got, uh, I've got two boys, uh, Hudson and Mitchell, 21 and 18. And so how many of you have boys? Can, I, can you raise your hand? Okay. How many of you have girls? All the tired people, uh, raise their hand. Uh, <laughs> um, so one thing you know real quick that uh, if, if your boys are talking to you, like one of the things that you do is you stop time and like you listen because boys don't generally talk. It's like, how, how'd your date go? Fine. Yeah. Um, did, did you get your report card? Yes. Um, did you make good grades? I don't know. And we know what that means, right? Right. Uh, um, how'd your day go? Fine. Good. And it's like, seriously, and I, I remember doing this to my mom too, because I didn't feel like getting in the long explanation. Boys just don't like talking. So, so it was one of those nights at our house where our boys were talking. And uh, I'm like, hey, I'm going to pull out my little trusty questions that I bought because I think they're going to be fun and may get us into some good conversation. Well, I, had, I, had, I, I forgot to read on the outside of the package that these were, they have different types of questions. These were the questions, these types of questions were called self-therapy questions. Self-therapy questions. And I didn't notice that until I sat down at the table. So I said, hey, guys, I, I, I got these cool questions we can ask. And, hey, you know, they're the kind that you pull up. You don't know what the question is. You just kind of pull it out and ask the question. And it great, makes for great conversation starters or whenever you have couples over for dinner. It's just kind of fun. Well, anyway, so I pulled the first one out. And the first one out was like, if you could spend three minutes with Sigmund Freud, what would you ask him? And my oldest son looked at me and said, Dad, you're killing the mood. Yeah. Stop it, Dad. Stop killing the mood. Uh, so anyway, I just learned that, you know what, I may have to come up with my own questions. But, but there was a question that, I, I don't know about you, but when I was 21 years old, and now I'm 45, and I, I still wrestle with this question too. But there was a question when I was in college that I spent a lot of time thinking about. And that question was, what am I here for? What am I here for? And I would imagine that you probably think about this too. Um, But for me, it was like, God, I know you have a purpose for my life. Your word tells me that. So what am I here for? What is that purpose going to be? You know, the Bible actually says in Ecclesiastes that he's put eternity in the human heart. Like we think about the future naturally because of the way that we're built, the way that God designed us. So we think about the future. 
So the question that I was asking God was, God, what am I here for? Because I don't want to miss your will. And, and if there's anything I know about life, you're either going to waste your life, you're going to spend it, or you're going to invest it wisely. And I wanted to invest wisely my life. And so I was asking that question, God, what am I here for? And the reason that we ask the question, what am I here for, is because we want to know that our lives are going to make a difference. We want to know that whatever we do, our lives are going to make a difference. Parents, you want to know that your children's lives are going to make a difference. And it doesn't matter how old your kids get. You just want to know, hey, we want your life to make a difference. And so that was why I was asking the question. I was like, man, how can my life make a difference? But here's where I went wrong. And here's where I think some of you may be going wrong when you ask this question. We ask the question, what am I here for? Because we want to make a difference. But here's our problem. The problem is, is that we think in terms of a solitary difference. For those of you who are watching online, this applies to you as well. When we think about making a difference in the world, we generally think about a solitary difference, like just, just me and just you. The difference that you're going to make, the difference that I'm going to make, not collectively. We think about a solitary difference. We think about an individual performance, not a team performance. We think about what is, what am I going to do with my life that's going to create great traction for the greater good that God is going to be excited about and proud of, and I'm going to feel good at the end of the day about my life. We don't think, I mean, we generally think about individual performance. Guys, think about this. On Monday morning when you open up your ESPN app and you're looking at stats, you're looking at your favorite quarterback, and you're looking at how many touchdowns they threw for, how many touchdowns they ran for, and at the end of the day on your fantasy team or whatever you got, you're thinking pretty good about your guy or depending upon the weekend that he had of his individual stats. But what it doesn't tell you was it doesn't show you that your running back picked up a linebacker who was coming through the line to take off your head, and he threw an amazing block that allowed you to get out of the way and throw a ball downfield to the tight end. And it doesn't take into account that you had an offensive line that was blocking for you and, and you were able to get rid of the ball and get it downfield to somebody who was open. And it doesn't take into account these acrobatic catches that these NFL receivers can do nowadays uh, that and score touchdowns and first downs that, hey, you didn't have it yet really. You just got the ball there. They, they did the hard work of catching. But we don't think about that. We think about the individual performance of what am I going to do with my life. And I think there's a better way to live. We dismiss how much other people are involved in our purpose in life. We just do. So I think the reality for, for you and for me, a lot of us, I think if we're honest and we're all friends in the room and you're watching online, we're friends. I think if we're honest, a lot of us are in survival mode. A lot of us are just trying to get by. A lot of us are just trying to pay our bills. We're just trying to stay afloat. We're just trying to keep the family from, you know, going off the rails. And we're just trying, we're in that zone until something happens, until a crisis happens, until you have children. And, all, you know, all of a sudden, you know, man, when you have kids, everything changes. Oh, man, we really got to get serious about, about life, right? 
or a car wreck. For me, it was five weeks ago. Um, my youngest son, Mitchell, was driving our Ford Explorer uh, up uh, down Highway 311 here, which is not, you know, if you're watching online, you may not have a context for that, but it's a four-lane interstate with a median in between it, uh, close to our church. He was driving from Winston to Kernersville, and uh, he... It was raining and he hydroplaned and he rolled our Explorer through the median on Highway 311. Well, I'm in a meeting and I get a call from my wife who is hysterical saying our youngest son had been in a car accident. She didn't know where he was. She needed my help finding him. So I was in a meeting. I immediately jumped up. Everything on my plate that day got pushed. Everything got moved. I, whatever emails, texts, meetings, everything else that day that I had to give attention to, gone. Wasn't even important to me anymore. And I remember pulling up onto the scene of the accident. Mitchell was actually inside the ambulance with fire trucks and ambulance and state troopers all lined up on the, uh, on the highway. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this parenting thing is pretty hard. <laughs> and I remember when Mitchell came and got in the car and I went, man, son, the Lord must have great plans for you because he saved you from what, what most people just don't walk away from. And so it's things like that that all of a sudden can, can jolt us into thinking about our purpose, can jolt us think, into thinking about what is my life for? What am I going to do with my life? But here's the thing that, that I want us to, to talk about. I think there's a problem with the question, what am I here for? I think there's a problem with that question. The reason why I think the problem, there's a problem with that question is because I think it focuses on what we're going to do with our life. And when I, when I look back on my life, I, I, I look at the gazillion things that I've done throughout my life. And it's not just a what, it's a hundred what's. And so what God may be doing in this season of your life, he may change in six months or a year or two years or three years. The average American changes jobs every 2.5 years. So the what's change throughout your life. The other thing why I, why I think that that's not quite the best question to ask is it's pressure driven, right? What am I going to do with my life? What am I here for? Well, if I don't find it, am I going to feel like a big fat loser? I mean, if I don't, if I don't, you know, die, you know, if I don't find out what God, what, why am I here? I'm going to, I feel pressured. I got to figure it out and everybody else knows and I don't know and I feel terrible and there's pressure behind that question. But the last reason why I think it's not the best question for us to ask is because I think it all revolves around you and me. What am I here for? What's the personal pronoun in that statement? I. It's all about you, and it's all about me. And we, if we ask that question, it's all revolving around us. And I think there's a better way to live. I think there's a better question to ask. It's not that that question is terrible. I just think there's a better question to ask. And I think it's something that goes back to what Pastor Jonathan's been reminding, uh, reminding us all month of October of, hey, listen, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the only thing that counts. So how do we live a life 
where the only thing that counts is, is faith expressing itself through love. That's the question. How do we live a life that looks like that? Well, I think it starts with a better question. And somebody that I have an extreme amount of respect for and admiration is a guy named Andy Stanley. He's just accomplished so much in his life. And I love to listen to anybody who's accomplished a lot in their life because I think I've got something to learn. And he said, hey, what if we didn't ask the question, what am I here for? But what if we asked the question, new question, who am I here for? I didn't think about that over 20 years ago. It was all about me. What am I here for? But what if we asked the question, who am I here for? The reason why I love this question is, first of all, it really challenges me of thinking, am I who? Like, am I thinking about me? Am I here for me? Are my wife and I in the same with the love? Are, are we in love with the same person, me? So there's some introspection there that we have to give and we have to go, hey, hey, if I really honestly think about who I'm living for, the first question I have to, I have to kind of, first filter I have to run that through is, am I who I'm living for? Because if so, that's kind of sad. That's kind of a sad life. But I think it starts better. I think there's a better way to live. I think if you're a Christ follower, this begins with Jesus. This begins with Jesus is who you're living for. This begins with your immediate family. This begins with your spiritual family. This begins with your network of relationships all in your life. It begins with the people that you work with, your, your coworkers, the, the people that God has you around all the time. If you start asking the question, who am I living for? Who am I here for? It begins with those significant relationships all around you. Second of all, the reason I love this question is it positions you and me as a servant, right? If you ask the question, what am I, you know, what am I here for? It's, it's about you. If you ask the question, who am I here for? It puts you in a position to serve other people. It puts you in a position to serve other people. You're not the focus. And you also have no more excuses. Man, I get it, y'all. Sometimes we don't know why we're here. Sometimes we don't know what that what is, what we're supposed to do. But here's what, here's what I know about me and you. I know the who. I know the people in my life that God has called me to come alongside of and help and love and support and pray for and try to encourage and inspire. I know that. A lot of times we, are, we, we blame our inactivity on the fact that we don't know the what, and that's our excuse, and we fly that flag high. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, so I'm just not going to do anything. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. You know who you can help. You know who you can love. You know who you can start with. Start there. I have a great recipe for being negative and depressed. I have a great recipe for this because this has helped me all my life. When I'm feeling negative, 
And when I'm just feeling downright depressed, I'm just, you know, down in the mouth and everything's wrong with the world and everything's broken and, and nothing's going right and why aren't I and why can't I and why shouldn't I be and blah, 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 blah. Here's what I do. Here's what I try to do. The fastest way for you to beat negativity and depression, number one, is go exercise. Is free antidepressant. That's number one. Number two is you start thinking about somebody besides yourself. Every time I've done that, every time I've said, you know what? Oh, I'm not in a good place right now, but you know what? I am going to trust God and I am going to put someone else's needs before my, y'all, isn't this what parenting's about? This is why not everybody should be a parent. Parenting right is tough. It's not about having a kid. Most people can have a kid. But you want to be a parent. That's tough if you're doing it right. It's about putting other people first. And, and, and the last thing I would say about this is when you ask the question, who am I here for? Your purpose will involve other people. As a matter of fact, there are things in our life right now that are never going to go away until enough people decide to do something about it. They're just not. Those things are not going to change. They're not going to go away until enough people go, enough is enough is enough, and I'm going to do something about it right now. And when we ask that question, it puts us into action mode, and it puts us into thinking, okay, how can we make this better together? Your purpose will involve people. But the most beautiful thing about this and the most thing that I'm so excited about is that question, who am I here for, leads us into what God has already said in his word about who we are as a church. Who we are as a church. Ephesians 2, you can follow me along here. Ephesians 2, Paul's writing, he's in prison, the apostle Paul, he's in prison for his faith. And he is writing to the church in Ephesus. And, and this is a culture that is, you know, our, our culture is extremely conservative compared to the culture that these people lived in. These brand new baby Christians who had just put their uh, faith and trust in Jesus. And so th- this is a new church started in Ephesus. And Paul is writing to them to encourage them. And he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. He saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift. Everybody say gift. Gift. That's right. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. Oh, my goodness. We could, st- we could do good all day long. It doesn't buy us our salvation. It doesn't earn us our salvation. Only Jesus does that. And our faith and trust in him to pay um, uh, our, our price there. And then he says, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We can't be prideful. We can't be like, God should save me because of what I did. Look what I did, right? Can't happen. For we, I love this verse. He says, now, all the while he's saying you, you, and you, and, and you, right? Then he changes the pronoun and he says, we together are God's masterpiece. He calls us a masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good works, good things which he planned for us long ago. He called us a masterpiece. I don't know about you guys, but when I was younger going to church, 
I never thought of the church as a masterpiece. I thought it was a big fat mess. I was like, man, I don't even want to go. I'm a mess. They're a mess. We're all big fat mess. And I never thought about the local church as being a masterpiece. The other word that in a different translation, he, God called it a work of art. A work of art. How many of you have been to museums all over the world and seen paintings that are just amazing and beautiful? A few years ago, we got to go to London and went to some of their museum, just see some beautiful things. We went to Italy back, uh, you know, uh, three or four years ago, saw some beautiful, I mean, it's a work of art. He called us a masterpiece. He, God called the local church a masterpiece. Here's why it's a masterpiece. And here's my big idea. You can make a difference individually. You can make a difference individually. But we can make a great difference collectively. You can make a difference individually. There are some things that you can do in your life. And at the end of that, you can go, man, I affected that person's life and I affected that person's life. And I understand that's going to happen with all of us. We're going to make a difference in the lives of other people here and there. But collectively, together, we can make a great difference collectively a great difference collectively. It's like the old John Maxwell saying, teamwork makes the dream work. Teamwork makes the dream work. When we all work together and get focused on a particular project, hey, that's, that's how we launched Oak Ridge. That's how we launched Jamestown. All of us collectively together, man, let's pull together and let's go. And we're able to do that because collectively together, we work together. There's a shirt that uh, I see some people wearing from time to time, and the shirt says, doesn't play well with others. Have you guys seen that T-shirt? That shirt is a trip. Sometimes secretly I go, I wish I had that shirt. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I wish there are some days where I'm like, nobody talked to me. I just, I need to get some work done. I need to focus on some things. I'm like, sometimes I really want to wear that shirt. But it, it, it does send the message though. It sends the message. Sometimes we don't play well with others. And if you want your life to make a difference, you're going to have to learn how to play well with other people. You just are. If you want to stay married for a long time, you know what you've got to do is learn how to play, play well with other people. If you want to have successful relationships, you're going to have to learn how to play well with other people. If you want to have great friends, you're going to have to learn how to play well with other people. It's just part, if you want to make a great difference in this world, you're going to have to learn how to play well with other people. And I don't know why we don't. Maybe it's ego. Maybe it's insecurities. Maybe we want credit for something. Maybe we want the credit. Maybe that's it. But if we want to do great things for God, We've got to learn how to play well with other people. There's some, there's some few things that I found this week that require individuality but function collectively. I did some research this week. The, uh, the Biltmore House in Asheville, North Carolina. You guys familiar with what I'm talking about? How many of you have been to Biltmore? Beautiful place, right? Beautiful, beautiful place. Six years, a 1,000 people working every day built the Biltmore Estate. Six years... A thousand people working every day. 
built the Biltmore Estate. It's a masterpiece. You know how many muscles I'm using right now to take one step? You know how many muscles I just used to take one step? 200. In your body, the way that God designed your body, 200 muscles take one step. Guys, here's some trivia for you. Uh, do you know how many muscles in your face it takes to kiss your wife? 34. 34 muscles. So, baby, it's time for a workout. It's time for us to be close. The body of Christ, in the, in, in the scriptures, the body of Christ is called, uh, Paul calls the church, the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the body. And each of us is a part of the body. Each of us is a part of it. And so we are a part of something way bigger than us. Way bigger than us. I, I was thinking this week of what is it that makes it a masterpiece? What, you know, when Paul says, All right, why a masterpiece? Why a work of art, right? And, and, and the, the first thing I thought of is, you know, we have a common Savior. All of us together in this room, we probably come from very different backgrounds, very different homes, very different states, counties, nations, uh, experiences, education, everything. We probably come from lots of different places, but what holds us together, what bonds us together is we have a common artist. We have a common savior, right? And the common savior gives us value. Leonardo da Vinci back in the Renaissance period in the 1500s, he, he was known for, uh, I believe it was 15 pieces of uh, significant, significant art then. And uh, he was known for the Mona Lisa, he was known for the Last Supper and some other things that were very, very uh, powerful and worth a lot, a lot of money. But what's interesting is if you look at any da Vinci, you know, piece of art, you go, I don't even care if he, I don't care if he drew a piece of trash on the wall. The fact that it was a da Vinci painting the fact that this artist, who is world-renowned, painted this means it's, it, it's something. So regardless of what my interpretation of what his painting may be or look like or feel like to me, in the eyes of that artist, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It meant something. It sent a message. And the thought I had this week was, we all have an artist our artist is our heavenly father who is painted, who is designed you and me. The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And I want to challenge you. Do you think about you the way God thinks about you? If you are thinking negative, if you are putting yourself down, if you are limiting yourself, or you're saying, I can't because, right, hey, that's not God. You are a work of art, and together we are a masterpiece. Now, yeah, there's some things that every now and then God may show to us because of maybe bad decisions or our sin. There's some things that, hey, we need to pay attention to and change and adjust. But we have a common Savior. 
we have collective effort. And we saw that in our NICA video. When, when collectively we throw all of our effort together, it's amazing what we can do. I remember sitting in the stewardship team meeting when we decided that night, you know what, let's put this uh, allotment of money that people have given at, uh, at all three of our locations and let's build and let's finish this Nicaragua place where these folks can come and learn skills training. Let's finish it. And it felt so good knowing that I couldn't do that by myself, you couldn't do that by, my, uh, by yourself, but collectively we could do it together. I remember when I was in Romania about 12 years ago and I went with a medical mission team over there and I was there to share the gospel with you know, people that, are, that were out in the village and I went with a medical team, dentists, doctors, all those kinds of people. And we were wrapping up. We got on this bus and we went to the end of the world. Like I was like, where are we? If something happens, nobody will ever know, right? It was that far out. And I remember we were kind of cleaning up that day. And my job was to kind of stand out front and meet people as they kind of came up. And, uh, and it was like around 5 o'clock. It was around quitting time because we had been out there probably a good 11, 12 hours. And we were all tired, and we were like, man, it's time to, it's time to pack it in. And everybody was kind of putting their stuff up. And, and, and I saw this girl come walking up, and she had her friend, and they were talking in Romania. But I could tell she just had a little 16-year-old girl. She had her hand on her jaw, and, and she was crying. And I'm like, what is going on? So I've got the interpreter next to me, and they come walking up, and we're talking. And she said, look, uh, she just got finished from the dentist the Romanian dentist here in the village, she opened her mouth. Her molar was split in half without Novocaine. And the girl was just like in tears. I mean, she was not doing well. And, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, and it actually came out of my mouth. I said, guys, um, you know, I, I think we're starting to kind of pack up a little bit here, but I'm not, I'm not quite sure what we can do for you. And about the time this nonsense was coming out of my mouth, this nurse comes running out. She figures out what's going on. She runs out. She sees this girl just in so much pain. She just puts her arm around her, gives her a big old and says, hey, come with us back here, and we're going we're gonna to take care of you. And 20 minutes later, this girl comes out with a completely dis different disposition on her face with her tooth problem taken care of because there were doctors and there were dentists and people that were, had compassion. You know, they really need to put the people with compassion on the front end, not the, yeah, not, not, not me. Um, but, but she comes out and she's just got this amazing look on her face that you could tell she was so relieved and so thankful. And I went, that's the body of Christ at work. It's the body at work. Our collective effort together can do amazing things in the world. And finally, it's our connected relationships. It's our connected relationships. You are who you hang around. You are. You, you, are, the, you are the top five people you spend the most time with. A real quick way to change your life trajectory is change who you hang out with. You don't like the direction of your life? You probably need new friends. Your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. So, so some of us need to get new friends immediately. Some of you are doing great. You're around people who, man, they're going in a right. I, I, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying you don't know people that are going. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying your inner circle, 
people that you let influence you and influence your big decisions, you better be very selective about who you let in that circle because they, they determine the direction and quality of your life. I've experienced it, and I'm sure you have too. But finally, it's our connected relationships. This is what makes the church the masterpiece. It's our connection. When I get on my Zoom video call with the nine people that are in my small group, and I pull everybody up on my, my, my computer screen this afternoon, we have a connection because we're Christ followers. We love our church. We're going we're gonna to talk about the scripture today. And, and there's a connection that we have. There's accountability. When you miss church, somebody says, hey, dude, I didn't see you last week. How you doing? That's what people don't understand about the local church. It's not just for, hey, let's all be nice to each other, but sometimes you have to say, hey, are you okay? Speaking of a connection and speaking of relationships, I've just got to brag on my, on my wife real quick. She, our home was featured in a magazine called the Winston-Salem Monthly. Now, if you don't know my wife, Kresha, she actually will be singing right here in just a minute when I'm done, uh, for those of you who are watching online and at this location. But she's an interior designer. And it's so cool because as we, as we look uh, back on our family, we have a lot of spiritual themes in our home. Not weird stuff like, uh, you know, I'm not talking like weird and stupid stuff. I, I, I'm talking about just she knows how to decorate a home that's just amazing. She knows how to create an environment. And, but what's really unique is that uh, she knows how to create environment, furniture, accessories, and art from thrift stores, which makes me really happy sometimes. And, but what's amazing was uh, we had a gentleman who came out to our house, and he took a lot of pictures of our home. And he said, uh, he said, can you, he said, he called the article the Ministry of Design. He said, can you help me understand your home? He said, yeah. So our faith is very important to us, and you see it in all of our art. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of this, it's just very cool art that she knows how to make and design. And, and she's got this eye to be able to go, you know what? That piece of furniture with that piece of art and that accessory, they work. She can walk into a thrift store, and she can already, in her mind, she can see. She's got that vision of being able to go, that looks good. That all looks good. That looks good. You put all that together, it's going to look great. This is what it looks like when God, our Heavenly Father, is the designer, and he starts putting us together. And he goes, I want this person, I want this person, this person, this person, and this person, and I want to put them all together. And I'm going to arrange them because they all bring something unique and powerful, and there's a connection all together with them. And all together, here's the final question that I want to challenge you to ask yourself as we leave today. And if you forget anything that I say, I want you to finish your day, finish your time here. Think about this question. Who am I here for? Is it me? Do I need to change? Who am I here for? And you can start small. The scripture says don't despise the day of small things. Start small. Start with the people in your inner circle. Start with the people in your family, the people that you work with. Define. You may not know what you're here for, and that's okay, because God knows how to show you in time, because he can move. He can steer a moving ship, but you got to get moving. Do not sit there and go, well, because I don't know what I'm supposed to do, I'm not going to do nothing. No. Start with, who am I here 
for. I honestly believe, if you're watching online, Oak Ridge, Jamestown, Kernersville, we are here. God has assembled us here because we know who we're here for. And we know that we're here for the triad and we want them to know Jesus. And we are going to share the love all month with them and let our community know that we love them. My challenge to you, if you forget anything I say, start with this. Forget the what am I here for. Forget all that. Start with who am I here for? Start there. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these amazing people that are here. Thank you, God, for uh, what you're doing in their life. And thank you so much, Jesus, that we have purpose, that our lives can have purpose, that you have called this church to this time and this place for a very specific reason. And I pray that, God, you would use all three of our campuses and everyone watching online to share the love of Jesus with our community and let in the triad of North Carolina and let them know that we love them. Help us all, God, as we leave here today to ask the question, who am I here for? A lot of us, Lord, you know, we don't know what we're here for, but we can all start with who am I here for? And we can start change there. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.